Welcome to the Child Discipleship Podcast. My name is Melanie Hester. Thanks for being here with me today. You're about to listen to a conversation with John Tyson. And if you're unfamiliar with him, he is lead pastor at a church in New York City and recently spoke at the Child Discipleship Forum. Listening to John Tyson is like having a conversation with somebody where you don't ever want them to stop talking. John Tyson drops wisdom pieces in our lap, like what it looks like for us to come together as a church to serve the children in our midst and to prepare them and help them come into the presence of a loving Savior. Here at Awana, we believe that preparing today's leaders to disciple the kids in our church is one of the most fruitful and strategic things that you could do. So if you have not brought your team of leaders to a resilient child discipleship training, make that the first thing that you do this year as you look to train your leaders and get them ready for a new year of ministry. The resilient child discipleship training is both in an area near you and online. Check out childdiscipleship.com slash training for more information. But for now, here's that conversation with John Tyson. All right, y'all. Thank you so much. We are off and running at the 2023 Child Discipleship Forum. And you can see here, we are joined by John Tyson. John, thanks for doing this, man. Being here. Good day, folks. Thank you uh, to everybody who's watching online. Yeah. Now, John, thank you so much for your words this morning, man. Um, We're going to jump right in. Now, if you remember, I mentioned this earlier. This is one of these exclusive conversations we're having. And I want to thank you guys for submitting some questions in the chat via cdflive.com. You can keep that going. Please keep that going throughout the day. The goal, you know, Shauna and I are going to have this conversation, but our hope is that you feel like you're also having this conversation with John. So please keep doing that throughout the next two days. But John, I want to jump right in. Yes. I want to start with this Daniel and Babylon framing that you laid out, which is one, just beautiful, but also, and terrifying. (laughs) You know, if we start with this, we are, um, mm, man, I'm already emotional. Okay. We know our kids are going to be Daniel. Mm -hmm. We know that this is the reality that you laid out. Mm -hmm. So how do we go about engaging in this reality without overburdening our kids now that we have this knowledge and not overburdening ourselves in that same process as we live in Babylon. What a, I think what a loving and skillful parent is going to do. So uh, there was a, a huge, so number one, you can't inject your anxiety into your kids. Sure. Like one of the, the top three factors that produces healthy children is two of them have nothing to do with children. Um, one of them, believe it or not, is like loving your spouse in front of your kids. This is from Harvard University. This is like, this is secular research. Number one is emotional care. It's like attending Mm -hmm. to your kids' lives, caring about their feelings, validate their experiences. Number two is care for your spouse. And number three is parental stress management. Do not bring your drama into your home. Your kids aren't ready for it. Um, So you've got to monitor that. I would say use the urgency as fuel for prayer and intercession. Mm but then don't bleed that into your kids. Love your kids, invest in them, care about them. Uh, yeah, have compassion on, on the experiences they're going through and make your life fun and enjoyable. You know, make, mm-hmm. make following Jesus a life of adventure and a life of joy and kindness and mission, not, uh, not a fear-based reality. Mm-hmm. And I think parenting out of fear um, only produces fearful kids. 
who, when they get older, realize they didn't have to be as afraid and get angry, mm. uh, you know, because you've basically, you've, you've gifted them anxiety that doesn't belong to them. So, yeah, I would say um, give it to them to the degree that they can handle it and process it through their lives and use your fear as prayer. Mm. I'm going to say that a lot in whatever we That's say. the answer to a lot of questions, well, right? <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's the only untried thing we have. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. So, John, we're joined with hundreds, maybe thousands of our friends here online. And, and I think what you hear, the cry of Ross's heart, the cry of my heart, when we look at our children and we think, okay, I, I am raising a Daniel. You know, I, I see the world that they're, they're going to be raised in and, and maybe I have some fear. Um, you know, maybe I don't know what to do, but I feel like what we're hearing in the chat are these children's ministry leaders that are saying, but my parents maybe don't feel that way. Maybe my parents really aren't involved with their kids. And so what can we say to that children's ministry leader that is saying, I know parents should be involved, but they're not. What do we say to them? Well, I, number one, I want to say thank you for what you do. Uh, thank you for serving and loving. I know it's challenging. Uh, yeah, kids, kids leaders are often the unsung heroes, you know, I mean, so thanks for what you do. Um, I would say, look, you've got two choices. You can be angry and frustrated by the people who don't get it. You can shame them and mm -hmm. get mad at them. And I haven't perceived that to be a particularly effective way to change. <laughs> or you can just, fight. so number one, you can seek God for change. Um, you can ask for divine favor on your initiatives. And then I think you you begin to start working with those who get it rather than giving all of your energy to those who don't. Those who Change don't. doesn't start by trying to get people who don't care and who are unengaged and uninterested mm -hmm. to care like you do. It's find a few, mm -hmm. build a, a working model of it, make it, you know, the kind of thing they want to be a part of and then just find joy and delight in that and then try and scale that and build that culture and bring that thing uh, to bear. Um, uh, again, I think your anxiety has to go towards God and your joy has to go towards people. Mm, you know? mm -hmm. And I think we often get that the wrong way. We're so thankful for our salvation and we're mad at everybody because they're not living the vision. So, yeah, I would say just work with those who can. Use the agency that you do have. Work with those who love it. I mean, it's the classic thing. You know, it's like you can go to a prayer meeting and there's six people there and say, nobody cares. Or you can pray with or the six people with like, six. I care. Mm -hmm. So I would mm -hmm. say, you know, the number one thing I would say is... Um, you've got to get the pressure off you. You've got to feel the burden, but not live out of, uh, of an ungodly pressure. Because what we do is we start taking things into our own hands. Mm -hmm. And then we get very soulish leadership. Mm -hmm. And uh, soulish leadership is like good human emotion. And that's just not the same thing as um, being led by the Spirit. So. Right. Right. So the other question that Daniel Stevens asked, I found this very interesting he said, how do you have a healthy conversation with parents about ripping out the idols that they, the parents, have gifted to their children? Heavy question. Heavy question. Well, I don't consciously think any parent wants to damage their kids. Mm. Not consciously. There may be generational issues, deep dysfunction, family system dynamics. Uh, I think every parent in their heart wants to do better than their parents did. Mm -hmm. So number one, you've got to assume good intent. Don't, th don't think their parents want to trying do Trying to damage. Yeah, they're, they're trying to do their best. They're probably trying to give their kids 
uh, more. So assume good intent, okay? Mm -hmm. That approach is the way you see the parents. The parents are the part of the solution, not the enemy. Mm -hmm. um, secondly, I would say um, often these things are done indirectly. So how does anybody change their mind? You've got to, you've got to sort of, if you go at it front on, you normally produce resistance. You're normally touching the ego. I mean, it's been my experience. Um, that if you tell kids, tell parents how to raise their kids, it's not going to go well. They don't love it that much. <laughs> so you've got to help them say, "Hey, I'm here to serve you. I'm here to." Mm -hmm. So it could be like giving them articles. It could be trying to open up their thinking. Um, most people can't accept huge amounts of change. So change is often incremental. Slow, yes, yeah, slowly in ways mm -hmm. that they can accept it. Uh, a lot of times, it's about the unintended consequences or whatever. So. Mm -hmm. I would, I would try and establish yourself as someone who's like, hey, I want to partner with you. I care about your kids. I know you want to do better than your kids did. As I'm doing research, here's, here's some stuff I'm that finding. I'm finding. And I would start sowing those seeds mm -hmm. of, um, and helping them think long term. Hey, who do you want your kids to be when they're gone? Hey, Absolutely. I found this research. So, and then honestly, um, I, would, you know, I would really fast and pray. Mm. God is the one that changes people's hearts. You know, and you need him to do in their heart what you can't work. do. Mm -hmm. And again, my basic experience with all Christian ministry is five minutes of like, you know, here we go, one, two, three, team, and then just all human effort. And we're probably going to need, if we, that's what's gotten us where we are. Mm -hmm. Five minutes of prayer, 55 minutes of human effort. I think it, we should probably split. We need to reverse that uh, a little well, bit. <laughs> well, even 30 minutes, Lord, please, what wisdom do you have? Mm -hmm. And then th that parent is going to have something in their heart that is making them do that. Mm -hmm. You want to unlock the key to that parent's heart. You want to see God that. needs to change That's that right. heart. You want too. to see them walk in freedom and joy in life. So, you know, I, I, I just can't stress it enough. And I think one of the great strategies of the enemy is to turn what we know is effective into a cliche and say, I tried that. My experience is like very few people have tried it. They've dabbled in it and called it trying it. Mm -hmm. And again, I'm not trying to shame people. I'm trying to invite people. God can change a person's heart. He can give them revelation and insight and conviction. That's the role of the Holy Spirit. That's mm -hmm. his job. So try and partner with God in prayer. Believe best intent with the parents. Try and sow resources and then mm -hmm. um, show them what it's doing. I talk about formation. You know, mm -hmm. who, are the, who are they becoming by the life you're giving them? And maybe see those incremental steps towards success. You know, when there's small gains that are happening and celebrate those small gains as they're happening. And I think the other thing I heard you say is meeting that individual parent where they're at, because not every parent is at the same place in their spiritual journey or their discipleship journey with their child, but finding out where that parent is at and helping them make the next step. Yes. So... Well, another question. So we talked a little bit about resources. And as children's ministry leaders, we love resources, but sometimes we can also say that we kind of get resourced to death, you know? Yeah. So sometimes there's too many resources. But Janie had asked, you said to equip parents to build altars of worship in their homes. And can you provide a resource for us to look to for this? So when you are talking about, you know, building altars of worship, are you talking about, here's a resource to help you do that? Or what are you asking parents to do when you ask him to build those altars. Yeah, it would be to to consciously consecrate a time and place. It could be very, very small. What, what we're after is potency. Mm -hmm. mm. 
we're, we're not after scale. One hour of something bad is... is it's still a bad, right? Yeah, as <laughs> right. opposed to like, look, three minutes of the right thing is better than 10 minutes of the wrong thing. Mm-hmm. So I'm not like, you know, every night, you know, you've got a PowerPoint chart. And you, you know, I'm not... You like preach not, a sermon. Yes, you got to... Right. Like, hey, you're sowing seeds. Um, you want your kids to know who God is and what he's like. So what does God say about himself? The Lord, the Lord, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, compassionate, forgiving wickedness, sin and rebellion. Mm-hmm. Let your kids know that God is loving. That God is compassionate. Show them what God's like. Show them who Jesus is, mm-hmm. friend of sinners, uh, crossing boundary lines, embracing controversy. Mm-hmm. You, you know, it can be small. It can be potent. Um, have a time, have a place, involve them. You know, you, you know. If you hated this as a kid, don't do it. How you don't do it. it. Yes. Make it as ex- yes. engaging, as exciting as you can, and and just it's all about sowing, not reaping. You don't control the harvest; you control the seed. Mm-hmm. So you keep putting it in. Mm-hmm. You believe in this, and um, it's the the course of years and years and years of the sowing of the teachings of Jesus and the beauty of God in a kid's life will change them over time. Mm-hmm. They will have something to come back to. You know, and I think one of the, so it's not about, it's not like baptizing them and holding them underwater, you know, like you need this. It's like, look here, here's what Jesus taught. Here's like, you know, you could take. Ross has a mental image going on yeah, here. I no, can tell. That's, uh, <laughs> the, yeah, very much so. Practical. You could go through the Beatitudes. You mm-hmm. say like, hey, here's one verse. Let's here's learn one this. verse, mm-hmm. one question and a one sentence prayer. Mm-hmm. That done consistently is better than, you know, I came back from a thing and now kids, everyone's going to do chair. this. Right. Just what right. you can do consistently is consistently focus on potency, seed, not seed substitute. I'm a big believer in directly expose them to the truth of God's word. Most kids don't believe the Bible when they're older, not because I've read the Bible, because they have bad ideas about what people mm-hmm. have said about the Bible. And not when, because of personal experience. Yeah, when you read it. the Bible, you're like, I actually don't remember this being in here. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I think mm-hmm. I missed that, you know, and so. Help them engage directly. Opening the pages of God's Word. Word. Look, it could be two minutes a day. Mm -hmm. But you're sowing seeds of eternity. You're sowing God's Word into their life. One at a time. Consistency, not intensity. Yeah. Awesome. So another question that I feel like is is a heavy question that we've we've received several times in the chat is, I'm not a senior pastor. Mm -hmm. And so I see this vision that you're giving. I see this vision of including the family and raising children and family discipleship. But I feel like I can't do enough on my own as a children's ministry leader. What, you know, we've, we've got our friends right here with us. What would you say to them of this is what you can do? What are they able to do? Yeah, listen, I've, I was a youth pastor for many years. I know what it's like to rage up. We're like, why can't you get this? You know, <laughs> I, I feel those dynamics. Now I'm a senior pastor, you know, these are the conversations we have in our church. Um, listen, here's what I'd say. Um, the, the, Jim Collins is an organizational expert. He's written a whole series of books, Good to Great, Great by Choice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's written a whole series, and he, he gets asked this question all the time. What if I'm not the CEO and I can't shape the whole company? He right. talks about creating pockets of greatness. Mm. Create pockets of greatness. If you can't lead up, lead down. Mm-hmm. And just determine in your heart that you will make 
what it is that you have. So here's an example. You may go to a terrible high school. This is many teenagers' experience. Mm -hmm. I went to a terrible high school. I hated most of my teachers. But my English teacher. Made the difference. Mrs. Jenkins said to me, hey, John, you've got a way with words. Mm -hmm. It's like, man, I carried that my whole life. Mm -hmm. You know, this is just, so you can be that one point of hope or joy and just determine in your life to make your ministry. If you make your ministry good, the parents will demand you have more resources. Mm -hmm. The pressure will come from the fruit of your ministry. You, you won't even have to do it. Those parents will advocate on your behalf. So I would just say, don't, oh. don't get frustrated. It's, or, or manage your frustration. I feel it. I hear that. Just determine that in the sphere of influence you have, with all the vision and the agency and love that you have, you will create this the way that you can. There will be a pocket of greatness that you create through your leadership. That's awesome. Ross, we talk so much about loving, caring adults mm -hmm. at Awana. And I think that what's so special about that is ministry leaders, I think each of us can think back to that loving caring adult that, that really, and yeah, the Mrs. Jenkins that influenced our life. And when you're sitting here and you're learning and we just hope that you hear the importance that you have in the life of a child and the discipleship efforts that you're making. And we're so thankful for you. We are mm -hmm. so thankful for what you're doing week in and week out. Um, so I was, I, I would love to just throw to something totally off topic because I'm sitting on a couch with John Tyson. Um, and so <laughs> in your book, Beautiful Resistance, you talk about fear must, I'm sorry, hospitality must resist fear. I would love to hear how can the family, we're talking about the family, what, what does hospitality do in the family? What are we teaching our children when we open up our homes, we invite people in, and we show them God's love in our home? I just, sorry, Ross, totally off topic. I just, when you're sitting with There's John no Tyson, rules. you have to like yeah. ask the question that's on your heart, you know? Sure. So can you talk to us a little bit about the family, hospitality, what that looks like? Yes. Um, it's, so number one, you've got to have a paradigm of asking the question, what is my home for? Mm. Is it a retreat center from the pressure of the world or a ministry center mm. to reach the world. Mm -hmm. You've mm. got to determine what your, the paradigm of what your home is. I think we all need safe, safe places to retreat and refresh ourselves. But, um, but we also can do ministry, powerful yeah, yeah, ministry it's like there. That if, if that's your whole house, I think there's, there's, there can be a problem there. Mm -hmm. So number one, you've got to realize that the, 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 so much of the ministry of Jesus happened at the table during meals. And uh, there's just something that happens when you sit in front of someone and you're eating and you're talking. Together. It's humanizing. Mm -hmm. It's life-giving. It, it tears down barriers. It's, it's really, it's a potent environment. It's, a, it's an environment of belonging and sharing. And, um, and you'd be amazed how few families eat a meal together. Right. Um, well, and you were talking about, you know, the busyness, the sports schedules, the, the activities, all of those things that pull us away. We're not sitting. It takes less effort than you know to create a 10 out of 10 experience. Just a little little thoughtfulness, quick Google search, kinfolk dinner, just create that aesthetic and then do it with some intentionality and then just ask a provocative question. So mm -hmm. I think it creates the right kind of atmosphere. I think our homes are to be our places of ministry. People feel very, very 
um, people feel amazed when they come into your home. Thank mm -hmm. you for creating space. Thank you for creating time. Um, so, yeah, you've got to view your home as a, a ministry center. It's, it's been pointed out, Sky Jitani points this out, hospitality contains the word hospital. It's designed to be a place of healing. Mm -hmm. And our homes should be places of healing. He says our dinner table should be operating tables where the work of heaven happens. Absolutely. And I, th I love that idea of people feeling free to, to share, to speak, to open up their and hearts. And the healing that can take yes. place there. Jefferson Bethke said something once that I love. He said, your house should be a theme park of your family's values, which means people wow. should come to your house and just go, this oh is my what they're gosh, about. Yeah, you, you need to feel care. Come, you know, like, <laughs> wow, what was that? That was care. What is this celebration? What is this listening? They should step into your house and your value should be like living exhibits of the culture that you want to build. And I think honestly, that's it. Our goal, like, you know, so my kids grew up in New York City, uh, you know, our table was quite small, but our goal was always to be the place people wanted to come. Yes. And many people say this, but we were like, we would do whatever it takes For them to, to be, be the home that all the other kids say, let's go back to your apartment. Mm -hmm. Let's go back to your parents. And most of our ministry with our, with kids was like people wanting to be in the atmosphere. We in your home. Which was listening, welcome, availability, presence, joy. And I think in many ways that can be part of the most effective way we do ministry in the modern world. Yeah, absolutely. There's something about your story that I think it's really important for people to understand. I've heard you say you, you were part of a culture where you got up at 4am to pray as part of a youth group. And I want to, I want you to fill in some of those lines that I very poorly just summarized because <laughs> that was my experience. Yes. 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 <laughs> because there's something you have lived out this, these rhythms of discipleship that we're articulating mm -hmm. here but your, your parents were praying, your parents were discipling you in a very different context and then of how you were discipling your kids. And what I'm curious about is, can you articulate for folks what your story was like as a kid? Because the things that your parents had to do to disciple you, I think are things that kid, people who are watching right now um, could be doing for maybe kids who are like you. I am hesitant. Uh, so my family is family of origin is filled with, you know, tremendous amounts of pain and brokenness and a lot of joy and love. Um, you know, my father grew up in India in a boarding home. My grandfather was a missionary. He was a great missionary. He's a terrible father. Mm. So dumped my, dumped his kids in boarding school and, you know, probably emotionally neglected and traumatized them unintentionally. I mean, is, listen, it's another generation. Every generation is like, how could you? And our kids are going to be like, how could you? You know, so it's, I don't want to moralize what I know against what they didn't know back then. Sure. But it certainly did a tremendous amount of damage. So I, I don't think there was like a healthy emotional bond formed between my father and his grandfather. My dad tried a lot harder, um, you know, did an amazing job compared to his grandfather. But, you know, it was, I was certainly not a compliant child. <laughs> and um, so... I think my parents realized they tried very strong discipline mm -hmm. and it failed immensely. Mm -hmm. And then my parents came up with a brilliant strategy, which was the no rule strategy, which was like, if you want to, you can't. They took away my ability to rebel by removing the restrictions mm. with which I was sort of raging against. And um, this sounds kind of wild, but you know, I was 13. I had no curfew. It's like, well, I just come home when you are I'm done. I'm just thinking about my 13-year-old right now. <laughs> I'm a little nervous. <laughs> well, it was like, I was going to sneak out anyway. Uh -huh. Yeah. It was like, they just, they just sort of removed. And then I did have a season uh, that did require a 
uh, it's uh, it's a season I don't like talking about too much, but it did require some tighter tighter rules, and I realised that that didn't work, and it only pushed me further away. And I think it was at that point my dad said, "I've tried everything. Mm. I've tried freedom. I've tried prayer. I've tried content. None of this stuff has worked. I've lost my son." Mm. And that's when my dad uh, sort of made a commitment in his heart. Uh, it was a commitment of love. God, I've done everything I can do. None of it has worked. You're up. I have to rely Yeah, on and you. if you don't do something in this kid's heart, this kid's going to have a hard life. And so it was really my dad made a commitment to just really start praying and fasting and seeking God for me. And um, it's a very interesting, the, the internal experience of what God did in my heart over a period of six months versus the outer world. My parents would have been terrified. This was my death rattle of rebellion while my heart was changing. Mm. And they had the wisdom to just say, it's getting worse. Let's keep praying rather than it's getting worse. Let's cramp down. And it ultimately, ultimately led to yeah, meeting a girl, going to this youth group, going to this youth group and thinking, this is absolutely a cult. Um, <laughs> but this girl was so attractive. I was like, how bad are cults? Yeah, I mean, like, for sure. You know, like, they yeah. exist for a reason. I mean, yeah. People need to belong to something. It was absolutely. Like, and, uh, and then I just, I just, it's very hard to explain, but I just understood who Jesus was and what the kingdom of God was and that this is actually the life I had been longing for. I'd watched Dead Poet Society. My, I had a VW camper van. I would drive to the beach, party. I was living my best life. And then um, th I didn't realize that Jesus was better than this. Yeah. And so ultimately that's, that's sort of what won me over. My father's prayers carried me home. Yeah. Because, and I appreciate you sharing that because the thing that I wanted people hear from that was you had gone from this experience of your parents going prayer is the thing and that led to you being in an environment where you were waking up at 4 a.m to pray and there's obviously so much detail to that story but what the simplicity that that i hope people hear from that is that when you don't know what to do you can begin with prayer and when if you follow and are paying attention to what God is up to um, in New York and connected to John's ministry, you are seeing the fruit of that in your ministry. I just had a conversation with my dad. He's 77. Yeah. And he said, I just watched one of your sermons on prayer. And my dad's weeping on the phone saying this to me. And he said, I don't know if I got much right, but the fact that my grandkids love Jesus and you preach on prayer makes me think, Thank you, Lord. At least this has been passed on. That's the legacy in his life. Everything that happens in my ministry is somehow connected to my father being willing to pray for me. So, The Child Discipleship Podcast is powered by Awana. Thanks to the donations of generous folks like you, Awana partners with 62,000 churches in 130 countries to make resilient disciples. When you give to Awana, you are investing in lasting faith, Young people who will engage the culture with the gospel and fearlessly lead the church into the future. To make a donation to this mission, go to awana.org slash donate. Subscribe to the podcast today so you never miss an episode and check out the show notes of today's episode for relevant links from this conversation, as well as information about other podcasts from Awana. Thank you for listening. We'll talk to you next week. Next week.